does anybody know what is special about today? Does anybody know what today we might be celebrating as a church? Pentecost Sunday. A couple of y'all are aware of that. So today is Pentecost Sunday. That's uh, basically what that means is that it's exactly 50 days after Easter. And this goes back to the Old Testament whenever the Jews, they, this is something that they would just celebrate um, before the, the, uh, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. They just celebrated 50 days after Easter. They would celebrate a time of harvest and a time of uh, uh, just blessing. And so obviously for us as believers, as Christians, we're celebrating uh, 50 days after uh, Jesus was, was resurrected. That in particular uh, is the day that the disciples in the New Testament received the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so that for us as a church is what we're celebrating today. Um, so basically, that is the birth of the new church. I was reading an article about this in preparation for this message, and I love the way that this article described it. They said that Pentecost Sunday marks the beginning of the church's mission to the world. And I just thought that was so good because really that's what Jesus was training and instructing his disciples to do for the the 40 days after he was resurrected from crucifixion. He was training his disciples to be able to birth the church. And so the question is, if Pentecost Sunday marks the beginning of the mission of the church to the world, what is that mission? What is that mission? And in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, it says this. It says, Jesus came close to them and he said, all authority in the universe has been given to me. Now, wherever you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you, and never forget that I am with you every day, even to the completion of this age. So this right here is, is basically where Pastor JJ is biblically drawing his vision for the church, that we would be disciples that are making disciples. This was Jesus' instruction to his disciples, because that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was training them to be disciples that would make disciples. And so for the church and the birth of the church's mission to the world, that is what Pentecost Sunday is all about. And that mission is for us and it's for you and me today. So fulfilling that mission and purpose is what God has for us as believers to do in the earth today. And there's a lot of scripture that we could look back to in the Gospels of Jesus' teaching uh, about how he instructed his disciples, about how he trained them, about the things that he was teaching them about truth. Uh, but specifically for today, I want to look at the book of Acts and, and the first uh, kind of initial experience that these apostles had as the church and and as uh you know receiving the holy spirit because that's what we're celebrating today is pentecost sunday and i want to look at that and see how it springboarded that conversation into the role of the holy spirit in the church so looking at that let's start in acts chapter one verses two to three it says jesus before he ascended into heaven He left instructions through the Holy Spirit for the apostles that he had chosen. After the sufferings of his cross, he appeared alive many times to those same apostles over a 40-day period, providing them with many convincing signs that he had been resurrected. During these encounters, he taught them the truths of the kingdom of God, 
So essentially, for 40 days after Jesus was resurrected from the grave, he spent those 40 days teaching his disciples. Not just the 12 disciples, but there was a number of people that had started to become his followers, his disciples that were listening to his teachings and applying them to his life. So Jesus spent 40 days appearing to these people and explaining to them the truths that he wanted them to, to carry on after he resurrected and left the earth. And then it says this. It says, Jesus instructed them, don't leave Jerusalem but wait here until you receive the gift I told you about, the gift the Father has promised. For John baptized you in water, but in a few days from now you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then a little bit uh, further than that in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 it says, But I promise you this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be seized with power. You will be my messengers to Jerusalem, throughout Judea, the distant provinces, and even to the remotest places of the earth. So for 40 days after Jesus resurrected from the grave, he spent this time teaching his, his uh, disciples and telling them, look, I want you to go and wait in Jerusalem for the gift that the Father has promised. Don't go anywhere. Don't apply anything else that I've taught you until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit because he's coming. There were not many times in Jesus' ministry and in his training to his disciples that he told them to wait and not do anything. Most of the time they were traveling, they were ministering, they were providing food for people, they were praying for people to be healed, they were casting out demons, Jesus was raising people from the dead. When you read the Gospels, that is what their daily activities looked like. They were always moving about doing something. But this was important enough, the gift of the Holy Spirit was important enough that Jesus said, look, you cannot continue my mission until you go to Jerusalem and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So wait until that happens. So today, rather than zooming in and focusing on that one experience in the birth of the church, I want to look at the gifts of the Spirit as a whole, how they affect us, what they mean to us, and, uh, and how we can apply them to our lives and, and receive them. So a couple of important facts based on what we just read that I want to cover today. First one is saying yes to Christ is saying yes to be his disciple. I think a lot of people have a misconception that being a disciple is like a next level commitment. When in reality, Jesus has always had the expectation that if you are a believer, if you are a follower, that makes you his disciple. That's what you're signing up for when you say yes to Jesus Christ. The next truth is that saying yes to being his disciple is saying yes to being a disciple maker. Those two go hand in hand. So whenever you say yes to being a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, unbeknownst to you, you are also saying yes to discipling people in your future as a believer of Christ. And then the last truth based on these scriptures and acts that we just read that I want to draw a conclusion from is that you cannot be a disciple maker without the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit working in your life. It was important enough that Jesus told his most trusted disciples, don't go anywhere, don't do anything until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For us, that same truth applies today, that Jesus wants us, as we have made a commitment to be a believer, to be his disciple, to be a disciple maker, that we would apply ourselves to seeking and receiving the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our life. And in 1 Corinthians uh, 14, Paul says this. 
He says, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities that the Spirit gives, especially the ability of prophecy. And then again in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul reminds us, you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. So that question leads us to what are the spiritual gifts? And that's something that you can read. You can go into 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and find them. Um, but I just want to uh, cover them really quickly today just to tell you what they are. Uh, and this is not in any particular order. There's none that are necessarily more important than the other. The Bible teaches us many, many times about these gifts. It does place a lot of emphasis on, um, on prophecy in the New Testament. But I believe that God places an equal emphasis on all of these. So I just want to go through them really, really quickly. First one that comes up is the word of wisdom. This is the ability to supernaturally be able to give someone wise advice. So just the ability to give someone wise advice through the power of the Holy Spirit. Words of knowledge, knowing information through the Spirit of God that otherwise you couldn't know. God telling you basically secret information or information that is unknown to you and allowing you to use that information to bless someone, to help them, to encourage them. The gift of faith, being able to have supernatural faith for impossible situations. The gift of healing, the gift to lay hands on someone or pray for them and see them healed. Power for miracles, the ability to ask God for miracles and to see them happen. Prophecy, supernatural encouragement or direction about the future that God tells you to give to someone. Discernment, the ability to know supernaturally if something is godly or not godly and give direction on that situation. Speaking in tongues, speaking to God in a supernatural way through the Holy Spirit in a language that is not known to you. Interpreting tongues, being able to supernaturally interpret what God is speaking publicly when someone speaks in tongues. So, those are the spiritual gifts that God speaks about in the Bible. Those are the ones that are clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's other places where there's things that God uses the Holy Spirit to do through people. But those are the ones that in general are considered the, the ones that, that people seek after, receive from the Holy Spirit. And so I want to take a little bit of time right now and just break a few myths around the spiritual gifts because I think it's something that the topic of spiritual gifts often becomes elusive sometimes it becomes a little bit mysterious people are afraid to ask questions about it oftentimes people have misconceptions about the spiritual gifts that um, you know that lead them away from wanting them because they're just nervous about them and they don't understand and so just like Pastor JJ always says right believing leads to right living and I believe that because some of us maybe have some misguided truths around these spiritual gifts, we've assumed that they are not for us, and it has led us to not pursuing them. So I want to talk a little bit about those today. One of the main ones that, that I hear when I talk to people or when they have questions about it, we've discussed it in our life group at times, is that the Holy Spirit will take over my body when I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. People think that the Holy Spirit is just going to come on you and, and take over your body and, 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 and supernaturally do something that you can't control. And the reason that, that this is a myth is because this goes in contrast to everything that God teaches us about being a believer, 
about what it's like, what God's character is like. Everything in the Bible leads us to obey God through faith, right? It's always an act of obedience through faith. Whenever God tells his disciples, he sends out the 70, you know, disciples to go and pray for people to be healed. They, they didn't, you know, they didn't turn into zombies or robots and, and go and pray for people and see them healed. They obeyed Jesus Christ. They went, they put into practice what he said, and it happened. And so people oftentimes have this myth in their minds that the Holy Spirit is just going to take over their body. They're not going to be able to control it, and, and they're just going to do whatever the Spirit leads them to do. And that is just in contrast to what God teaches throughout the Bible based on his character. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. That's not how God works. And that's not what you should be expecting whenever you receive the Holy Spirit or the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The next myth would be to me that you can only be baptized if, in the Spirit if a pastor lays hands on you. Or if a pastor prays for you. Or if someone lays hands for you and prays on you. That again goes in contrast to what God has taught us in the Bible, that the entire purpose of Jesus dying on the cross and being resurrected from the dead was so that you could have a personal relationship with the Father and that the Holy Spirit could be immediately available to you. That's why the, the curtain in the temple was ripped in two whenever Jesus gave up his last breath so that the, the inner courtyard of the presence of God could be available to us. That's what that symbolically meant when that curtain was ripped in two, that we could have direct access to the Holy Spirit and to the presence of God. So thinking that, that there are certain criteria that someone has to lay hands on you, that you have to be prayed for in order for you to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the baptisms in the Holy Spirit doesn't line up with what Scripture has taught us about God. Another myth that, that I've heard, that I've, I've seen taught, that, that I've heard of before, is that speaking in tongues is, is the only way or the first way that you know that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of scriptural evidence that says that for many disciples in the book of Acts and in the New Testament, for them that was the first gift that they received. But there's many other places that we see disciples, we see the apostles operating in the gifts of the Spirit, in the gift of healing, in the gift of wisdom, in the, in the gift of word of knowledge. We see them operating in these gifts in the New Testament without necessarily having the criteria of having spoken in tongues first. And so this is a tricky one, okay? Because it's clear in the New Testament, there's many times throughout the New Testament, and then there's even prophecies in the Old Testament that tells us that as believers... The gift of speaking in tongues is available and should be desired by all believers because it's one of the particular gifts that has personal benefit to you. When you speak in tongues, you have the ability to pray directly the, the thoughts of the Spirit of God back to God uninterrupted and without, without conflict. And the Bible teaches us that that basically builds your spiritual faith. Okay, so that's one thing that I want to draw a particular distinction on today is that while the speaking in tongues is, may not necessarily be the, the way that you definitely know that you are baptized in the Holy Spirit or that you have the gifts of the Spirit in your life, it is something that regardless, as a believer, you should be pursuing and you should be desiring because the Bible teaches us that each of us should pray in the Spirit so that our holy faith can be built up. And so that's something that... 
while it's a myth that speaking in tongues is the only way for you to know that you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that if you operate in other gifts that you don't have to worry about desiring or seeking to speak in tongues. I would encourage you to still pursue that as a believer. Another myth is that you only get one or two spiritual gifts and that's it. I would think that it's probably natural for some of us to receive certain gifts over others because of our personality styles, because of the way that God has wired us, because of our soul. But just because you maybe operate in the gift of prophecy and the gift of faith doesn't mean that you can't operate in any other gifts ever for the rest of your life. If you operate in those gifts, the gift of prophecy, the gift of faith, but you want to be able to lay hands on people and see them healed, if you seek God for that and if you desire that, and you continually have faith for that in your life, then God will meet you at your request. Okay? So it's, it's a myth that if you get one or two gifts maybe and that's it and you're done and, and you're born with them and because of your personality, that's the only gifts you're going to get. That Again, that's not true based on what we read in Scripture whenever God has taught us to ask for good things from Him and He will give them to us. This next one for me is probably one of the most common misconceptions is that the spiritual gifts are weird, right? And I was thinking about that, um, and maybe the spiritual gifts are weird based on our, you know, the way that we measure what normal is in this society, but let me just invite you to the fact that if you're sitting here and you're a believer, you believe that Jesus Christ, you know, is the Son of God and raised from the dead, there's a time in Scripture that Jesus is quoted as saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you are not worthy of me, right? I'm sure his disciples were like, why that, Jesus? Because it says after that, many of, they had large crowds following Jesus at that point, and it said after that time, a lot of people started leaving Jesus. And Jesus turned to his 12 disciples and he said, are you going to leave me too? And they said, Jesus, where would we go? You know, we've left our homes. We've followed you for years now. What are we? So the Savior that you follow is recorded in history as saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're not worthy of me. If that's not weird, I don't know what weird is. And obviously there's some context to that. He was talking about a metaphor for his body and his blood being the gifts of salvation that we would receive, right? There's a metaphor there. But nonetheless, to people who didn't have that context, it doesn't get any weirder than that. So for me, the, the spiritual gifts are maybe a step down from that. And I also think it's something that as a believer, you're just going to have to wrestle with that while you may be a human, you may be living in, in flesh and blood and bones on this earth, you are a spiritual being that God has created you for a world that is not this one, okay? And so there may be some things in your life that, that seem normal in Scripture that line up with what society says is normal, like, hey, honor your father and mother. Got that one. That makes sense to me. I can do that, God. The reason that lines up with what is normal in society is because God has created us. He's created this society. And so there are things that... that that we've adopted as norms in society, whereas people may not necessarily be believers and yet they still follow those norms because God wrote the rules, right? But there's going to be other things about the kingdom of God that fall outside the norms of what our society considers okay. 
And as a believer, that's something that you're just going to have to wrestle with. But if you've already stepped into the fact that a man that lived 2,000 years ago and claimed to be the Son of God, and yet he resurrected from the dead, and then the spirit that, you know, the spiritual being of God comes and lives on this earth and influences my daily life. Like, it's already weird, okay? So let's just get in it. Another myth that I've heard quite a bit is that the spiritual gifts were only for the church in the Bible and that the gifts died out with the apostles. If that is true, then why did Jesus waste the precious 40 days after he resurrected from the dead telling them, go and find the spiritual gifts? It seems like he would have talked about anything other than that if that was only a temporary thing that he wanted his, his apostles to have. In addition to that, Throughout the Bible, we see the apostles training the, the, the churches that they planted throughout the region of, of Europe and Asia. We see them encouraging those other churches to desire the spiritual gifts. And we also see those churches operating in the spiritual gifts. So if the gifts died out with the apostles, that's not true just by simply looking at the New Testament and the fact there that that the churches that the apostles planted also operated in this, the spiritual gifts. And if we believe at all that the truths of the, the New Testament apply to us as believers, then we have to assume that God wants us to, to receive these spiritual gifts as well. So I, I, those are just a couple of myths. I, I know that there's probably more misconceptions and things out there that that maybe you've heard someone talk about and it led you to a belief that is maybe not correct about the Holy Spirit and about the gifts that he gives. So I, I know that there's probably other things that I didn't cover, but in general, those were just things off the top of my mind that I have personally had direct conversations with people about that were misconceptions about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So hopefully that helped, if nothing else, shake you loose from some improper thinking about the gifts of the Spirit and, and what the Holy Spirit wants from you. So now that we've covered some of the misconceptions, let's talk about what is right believing about the gifts of the Spirit. How can we be pointed in the right direction so that we can take these spiritual gifts into our own life, find them, desire them, apply them, receive them, and then go on living the way that Scripture tells us to live? The first way is that Access to the spiritual gifts is more likely to come through faith and obedience rather than emotional experience and feeling it. To me, that's, that's, that goes back to the misconceptions, but that's one of the biggest things is that so often I see people just, just waiting on the Holy Spirit to, again, just take them over or just to hit them over the head with a brick or something like that. And that's... That, that doesn't mean that that's not necessarily going to be the way that it's going to happen. I know very many people that it did happen that way in, you know, a, a powerful experience in the presence of God and, and, you know, they just became baptized in the Holy Spirit. So that is a possibility for you, but I think oftentimes we limit it to the fact that that's the only way the Holy Spirit is going to baptize us and give us the gifts. So I want to I read a scripture really quick, and this is from Jesus in Mark chapter 11. It said, Jesus said to his disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. 
But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you that you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you have received it, it will be yours. Throughout the Bible, time and time again, God is constantly teaching us and reminding us that the good things that he has for us come through faith and obedience. That is a theme throughout the Bible that you will see in very many stories, parables, applications, is that the gifts and the good things that God, God has for you come through faith and obedience. Sometimes there's an emotional experience tied to that when God moves in a powerful way, but more oftentimes than not, God has taught us a truth. He's waiting on us to step out in faith, and then he will meet us at our faith. I think another thing um, that I see happening quite a bit is that people are only expecting to receive the gifts of the Spirit at this, you know, one, two-hour service here at church on a Sunday. And so many times we forget or we lose track of or we get distracted by life and we are not seeking those gifts. We're not seeking the Holy Spirit. We're not asking God for the good gifts that He has for us on a consistent, disciplined basis in our life. When oftentimes that's how God needs to use you in the gifts, right? So if you come here on a Sunday and you pray to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, and God wants to give you the gift of healing, if you're up here at a, you know, a, you know, a, a time of prayer after service, who are you going to pray for? There may not be anybody there that's sick that needs healing at that time, right? But you go to the supermarket on, uh, you know, on Monday, and there's an opportunity there, but you miss it because you're not thinking about it. Or you talk to your friend at work, and they're discouraged, and, and they need a prophecy, or they need a word of knowledge, or they need encouragement and faith, and you miss it because you're not in tune to the Spirit. See, oftentimes we assume that God is going to baptize us and give us the gifts of the Spirit at a service like this, and it'll be like a light switch that goes on, and we'll just know that we have it, confidently go and, and, and begin working in those gifts. And that's oftentimes not how God works. Sometimes he does, but more times than not, that's not the case. He's waiting on us to be in tune to his spirit in a disciplined way on a regular basis so that his still small voice can speak to us during the week and then we can go and operate in those gifts through faith and obedience and see miracles happen. See, our society has really caused us to fall victim to sensationalism, right? Everything is entertainment. Everything is emotional. Everything is an experience. Every news headline is trying to grab and grip at your emotions to try to get you to click on their story and read. And that's how we live. You know, sadly, our day-to-day -day lives is just moving from one emotional experience to the next. And that is in the opposite direction of faith and obedience through disciplined um, habits, more or less. And so I think oftentimes that's one of the, the big rocks that stands in the way of us receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit is that we're just waiting on this emotional experience or we're waiting on a pastor to lay hands on us and, and for us to you know, fall down or, or just feel a heat wave or something like that. And, um, and God is just wanting us to step out in faith during our week.
I think in line with that sensationalism, we, we kind of treat receiving the gifts of the Holy Spirit like a five-year-old treats receiving a birthday gift, right? If they unwrap that thing and it's shiny and it's got all kinds of lights on it, they're, they're excited, they're ready to play with it. But have you ever given a five-year-old something boring like a, a savings account? Right? And they're like, they don't even know what that is. But as they mature and as they grow up and as they understand the value of that savings account, they begin to draw from it and they begin to apply it to their life. And oftentimes, I think we, we treat life in the same way. We're expecting the, the gift of the Spirit to be this shiny gift that we unwrap. And we unwrap it and God says, hey, there's no feelings attached to it. I just need you to, through faith, obey. And we're like, oh, that's kind of boring, God. But isn't that the way God works? Because he just wants us to step out in faith, and when we do, then he'll meet us. It's a slow build. He's not going to drop you with a parachute out of an airplane. It's like climbing a mountain. The second thing is that not receiving the gift of the Spirit doesn't immediately mean that you have something in your soul blocking you from receiving. So many times when someone prays for us or lays hands on us or we ask God to bless us with the gifts of the Spirit and we don't receive it, we assume that there's something standing in the way. Maybe there's a, a sin that we need to confess or maybe there's uh, you know, somebody that we're holding a grudge against that we need to go and ask them for forgiveness or we need to forgive them. Um, you know, Maybe sometimes we might have the misguided belief that you know, we haven't been paying our tithes or something like this, so, so God's not going to bless us. That is not the way that God works. And I want to warn you that if you assume after praying for something that if you don't immediately receive it, that it means that there's something in your soul blocking, you may have a weak faith muscle. Now, sometimes... You may have something in your head that's just distracting you and you need to just, you know, confess it or, or clear it up. But that doesn't mean that God's not going to bless you with it. That just means that you're distracted, right? The Bible teaches us that once you're a believer, you have access to all of this. That's the only criteria to receiving the gift of the Spirit is that you believe in Christ. Other than that, I believe everything else is just a matter of a faith gap. And you might just need to operate or, or to exercise your faith muscle. Don't be alarmed if God seems slow to answer you. Has God ever seemed slow to answer you before? I want to read a scripture to you from 2 Peter. It says this, The Lord is not slow in doing what he promised, as some understand slowness. But God is being patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to be lost, but he wants all people to change their hearts and lives. That's 2 Peter 3.9. <laughs> it's kind of funny that it says that whenever God is, is being slow with you, that he's being patient with you. <laughs> that almost seems like a juxtaposition. Like, I need to figure out a way to be patient with God because his timing is not like my timing. But I think that in those gaps 
where we ask God for something and it doesn't immediately happen, it's not because there's anything wrong necessarily. It's not because there's something in your spirit that is blocking you from receiving all the time. That may be the case. We see times in the Bible where, where you know, in the spiritual realm, there were things that prevented things from happening and it delayed the action and the gift of God because of a, a wrestling in the spirit. We see that being true, but that doesn't always mean that's what's going on. I think more times than not, God is just trying to build our faith. If, if you were to go to the gym and I were to tell you that you can bench, bench press 225 pounds and then we put it on the bar and you take it off and you let it go down to your chest and you can't lift it up at all, would you think that I was a liar? Probably, but maybe all that stands in between is you exercising that muscle to get to the point where you can. See, that's, that's to me the difference is that you have the capability to receive the gifts of the Spirit. So just because I'm standing here telling you today that if you ask God, He will give them to you, and you stand up here today and you ask God for the gift of the Spirit, if He doesn't immediately give you that, that doesn't, doesn't mean that that's not still true. It just means that you have a muscle to exercise of faith in the meantime, until you receive that gift. God does not give spiritual gifts based on merit. The same way that you can't earn your salvation, you also can't earn the spiritual gifts. And I think many times we kind of, without saying it, have this mentality that the gifts of the Spirit are only for elite Christians, whatever that means, right? There's no such thing as an elite Christian. There's no levels in Christianity. Romans teaches us that beneath the cross we are all equals. And the same is true of the spiritual gifts. You cannot earn them. There's nothing that you can do to be worthy of them. That's why it is called a gift. And your Father gives you good gifts. One thing that is true is that you can, however, bend God's ear by asking continually. And we find that in Luke chapter 18. It says, In a certain town there was a judge who did not respect God or care about people. Then Jesus told this story to teach his followers that they should always pray and never lose hope. In that same town, there was a widow who kept coming to this judge saying, Give me my rights against my enemy. For a while, the judge refused to help her. But afterwards, he thought to himself, Even though I don't respect God or care about people, I will see that she gets her rights. Otherwise, she will continue to bother me until I am worn out. It sounds like kids sometimes. The Lord said, Listen to what the unfair judge said. God will always give what is right to his people who cry out to him night and day, and he will not be slow to answer him. Maybe not slow like he thinks is slow, but slow like we think is slow. So you may not necessarily be able to earn the gifts of the Spirit, but you can bend God's ear to hear you by asking continually, this scripture in Luke tells us. So, Oftentimes, being baptized in the Spirit and receiving the gifts of the Spirit, it's not like a one-time, let me pray the right prayer, and then I'll, I'll just I'll hit it right. 
That's not how it is. It's about continually through faith, exercising that faith muscle in obedience to God, believing that he will give it to you. And then having the mentality throughout your days in a disciplined way to be listening for the still small voice of the Spirit. And when he encourages you to act in a way that lines up with the gifts of the Spirit, that you act on that and that God will meet you. The next thing that I want you to know is that the spiritual gifts and being baptized in the Spirit are intended for every believer. It is something that God wants every believer to experience. It's not something that's necessarily optional. It doesn't mean that you are more saved than someone who doesn't operate in the gifts of the Spirit, but it is a gift that God throughout the, the New Testament encourages us to seek and to desire and to look for in our lives as a believer. It's not something that is only supposed to be used by pastors or only supposed to be used by people who are employed by the church. That's not what it's about. This goes back to the beginning what I talked about, that if you're a believer, you're signing up for the fact that you are committing to be a disciple of Christ. If you're going to be a disciple of Christ, that means that you are going to be a disciple maker. And if you're going to be a disciple maker, the scriptures teach us that we should operate in the gifts of the Spirit to make us effective in that. I want to read uh, from Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. It says, Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. And then a few verses later, it says, Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, Can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? And that second part was Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 47. So just a, a very quick history recap. Obviously, in the Old Testament, the Jews were God's chosen people. That's clear. God set them up as, as the people that were his own, his own children, and he blessed them in very special ways. Okay? Flash forward to the New Testament. Jesus teaches that this salvation is going to be available to everyone, Jews and Gentiles, and, and the Jews have to wrestle with this fact. They have to wrestle with this fact that for thousands of years, they've been God's chosen people. They've been the ones that, that God loves the most. And now God is taking that perspective, the way that he treated his Jewish people in the Old Testament, and he's applying it to all believers everywhere. And so they were surprised at the fact that Gentiles, number one, could be saved and number two, could receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But Peter, who was one of the first to wrestle with this, is very clear in saying that, hey, salvation and the gifts of the Holy Spirit obviously are available to everyone because of the evidence I see right here in front of me. God shows no favoritism. And if you are a believer, he wants you to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit for yourself and to operate them in them. In the scriptures, we also see that 
just as they received salvation by faith, the gifts were received in the same way. In fact, I think we oftentimes feel like God has this checklist or priority level, level of the way that our spiritual journey should look like or should, should follow, right? That we think that, okay, after I get saved, then I need to join a life group. And then after I join a life group, then I need to join the dream team. And then after I join the dream team, then I'm going to get water baptized. And then after I get water baptized, then I'm going to start paying my tithes. And then after I start paying my tithes, then maybe I can receive the Holy Spirit. Like, I don't know what we, we think this list looks like, but God takes that and he throws it all out the window and he says, are you saved? Are you, do you believe in Christ? Yes? Okay, everything else is available to you. There's no more list. There's no more checklist. There's no more path you have to follow. It's, are you a believer? Yes, everything else is yours. That's all there is to it. And, and I know maybe some of us are more type A than others. Maybe some of us are more prone to, to create lists and checklists and sticky notes than others, right? So that, that type of mentality of, of following that pattern comes easier to some of us than others, and, and we may try to, to force some people to, into that, that pattern. But I don't think God is that way. And even though God is a God of order, even though God is a God that that believes things should be orderly and, and things should have a, a plan of some sort. And God always has a plan. God doesn't necessarily apply that strict pattern to us when it comes to our spiritual journey. Are you a believer? Yes. Everything else is available to you. There's no more criteria for you to meet to be able to receive the gifts of the Spirit. And then the last thing that I want you to know this morning is that the active and consistent use of spiritual gifts is crucial to the growth of the local church. I think sometimes we may fool ourselves if we're growing numerically because we think that that's the only growth that matters. But God wants us to grow in many other ways. And when we look to the early church and the way that they grew because of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we see a few particular things. Number one, they grew in number, okay? So the same day that the Holy Spirit was made available to the disciples and that God baptized them in the Holy Spirit, it says that thousands were added to their number that day. The next way that they grew was also in maturity. It says that just a short while after they grew by the thousands, they had to appoint leaders underneath the apostles to be able to take over some of the responsibilities so that they could do their jobs better in teaching the truths of the gospel. So they grew in number and they grew in maturity. They also grew in fellowship. We see in the early church that immediately after this experience, and immediately after them being baptized in the Holy Spirit, several of them began to, to fellowship and meet in one another's homes consistently and regularly sharing and, and breaking bread together and talking about their faith. And then they also grew in shared ministry. Another thing that we see about the early church is that whenever they were blessed with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, 
it affected them to the level that some of them sold property, some of them sold possessions to make sure that those in their community were taken care of and that their needs were met. So, so many times we think that if we're growing numerically, that God is doing a good work among us. I want to remind you that because of what I said about sensationalism earlier, you can put on a good production on Sunday morning and grow numerically, right? Numbers is not the only thing that matters. I do believe that a healthy church will grow in numbers, but a healthy church should also grow in the other areas that I talked about. A healthy church should be also growing in maturity, in fellowship, and in ministry towards one another. And you cannot do that without the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't an accident that these things happened in the early church immediately after the apostles and the believers, the early believers, got baptized. I believe wholeheartedly that it was directly connected to them accessing the power of the Holy Spirit and applying it to their lives. And we see the same thing. Okay, so this happened about 50 days, 50 to 60, 70 days, whatever, after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. They were, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. The early church was born. But yet, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, over a decade later, Paul is still confirming the same thing. And he says this, Brothers and sisters, God loves you and we know that he has chosen you because the good news we brought you has come to you not only with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with sure knowledge that it is true. And you also know how we lived when we were with you in order to help you, and you became like us and like the Lord. You suffered so much, but you still accepted the teaching with joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. So you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in southern Greece, and the Lord's teaching spread from you not only into Macedonia and southern Greece, but, but now your faith in God has become known elsewhere, so we don't need to say anything about it. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. So when Paul came and planted the church in Thessalonians, he said that he came with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that power of the Holy Spirit spread to the church of the, in Thessalonica. The power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit spread to that church. And because the gifts of the Holy Spirit spread to them, it then spread to the entire continent of Greece and Macedonia. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are crucial to the growth of the local church. Pastor JJ and I met up about a week ago before they went on vacation just to kind of help me think through and work through a few things about this message. And while we were talking, this really great analogy of building a house came up in relation to the Holy Spirit. Trying to build a church without the gifts of the Spirit is like trying to build a house without tools. It doesn't matter if you show up at the job site in the right location if you don't have the tools to build the house. It doesn't matter if you have a perfect set of clearly detailed construction blueprints if you don't have the tools to build the house. It doesn't matter if all the materials to deliver uh, to, to build that house get delivered to the job site at the right time if you do not have tools to build the house you are not going to build a house. 
The same is true for us as the church, okay? We showed up to the right place. We're here in church on a Sunday morning. Each of us, I'm sure, have access to the Bible that we can read. We have a blueprint. We have the materials to build a church. We have people that we know that aren't saved. We have friends that that we can witness to. We have people that need the Lord. So we have everything we need to build the house. But without the Holy Spirit, we're not going to build it. We may, we, we may increase in numbers without the Holy Spirit. That's a possibility, but we're not going to build the church. Church is not just numbers. And see, oftentimes, I think what really happens is that we do have the Holy Spirit in some areas, but we get satisfied with just the few areas that we do have the Holy Spirit. We may be satisfied building a house because we got a really good framer, we got a really good drywaller, and we got a really good painter. But we don't have a plumber and we don't have an air conditioned guy, Right? Do you want to live in a house with no indoor plumbing and no air conditioning? No, I don't. But we're happy because we got a framer, a painter, and a drywaller, right? Those guys are knocking it out of the park, so we think we're good. We're satisfied. That's not true about building a house. It also doesn't need to be true about our church. There are people here that, that operate in the gift of prophecy. You've, you've probably seen... Pastor Esther operating the gift of prophecy if you've been here for the last couple of months. Some of you may have been freaked out by that and are like, I'm going to hide my face behind a chair so that she don't get a word from me. The gift of prophecy is meant to be encouraging. And it may, like I said, it may be one of those things that you're not used to. It may be weird. It may be outside the norms of our society. But it is a gift from God and there's something for you to wrestle with that God has given it to the church as a gift to bless his people. So, So we have... The gifts of prophecy in this church. We have the gifts of, of, of faith in this church. We have the gift of discernment in this church, right? So I don't know that what we're missing or what, you know, what we have. I don't have a, a perfect you know, record keeping of all of it. But I know this, that so many times I've seen churches get satisfied when their church operates in just one of the types of gifts. But in order to be effective... And to build the local church, we have to, to operate in all of those spiritual gifts. And that doesn't mean that Pastor JJ and Pastor Esther are responsible to be the, you know, the, uh, the, the player that plays every position on the field. You and I have a responsibility to operate in these spiritual gifts so that our church can be built in a wholesome way. We are here to make disciples as well. Just like Pastor JJ said... He is the lead disciple maker. So he may be the leader of all of this, but you were a disciple maker too. You may have not known that you signed up for that whenever you signed up for believing in Christ, but you're on a journey just like the rest of us, and that is what faith in God means. So let's build a complete functional house. It's important for us to reconcile in our hearts and minds, what are, what are we doing here this morning? What are we sitting in this building for this morning? What's the purpose for why we are here? So that we can learn how to be better disciples and better disciple makers. I don't want to be a part of a church that's just nice and encouraging. I think being nice and encouraging is part of being a church, right? But I think that's not the only purpose why the church exists. There are 10,000 
podcasts, both Christian and non-Christian on, on the internet that you can go and list to, listen to that come out every single day that are nice and encouraging. That doesn't mean they have the power of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that they are going to build the church and the kingdom of God. And so many times, I think we show up on a Sunday morning just expecting to be encouraged. And that's not what our desire is for this church. We don't want you to just be encouraged so that you can struggle and make it through one more week. This is, this is not an energy drink just for you to make it till next Sunday. That's not what Sunday is about. It's to equip you with empowered living so that you can follow Christ on a daily basis and make disciples outside the four walls of these church. That's what this is about. See, nice and encouraging doesn't defeat the enemy of our souls. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can do that. Nice and encouraging doesn't give life to the dead. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can do that. And Romans teaches us that the same power that raised Christ from the grave lives in us. Nice and encouraging doesn't win over a city that is struggling with poverty, with division, with racism and divisiveness. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can do that. Nice and encouraging is not enough to win our city for Christ. If we want to be effective and if we want to build the church, you and I have to commit through faith and obedience to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit and to allow them to be a part of our daily life. There is no building the church without it. And the question that I'm asking you today is the same one that I've asked myself. What kind of church do you want to be a part of? Do you want to be a part of a church that's just nice and encouraging? Or do you want to be a part of a church that is full of the Holy Spirit, that is operating in the gifts, and that is spreading the kingdom of God in a way that benefits the people that you love and care about in this, in this region. The spiritual gifts are the key to that. And God has made them freely available to you through faith and obedience. You can't earn them. There's no perfect right way to get them. You don't have to have someone to lay hands on you, but we will be happy to do that today, to believe in faith with you. And one thing that I want you to know is that oftentimes we think that whoever's praying for us has some special gift. It's not about the person praying for you. It's just about someone standing and affirming the faith that you have that God has given you these gifts. And remember what I said, that the only criteria for receiving the gifts of the Holy Spirit is that you're a believer. That's it. That's all there is to it. So what we're going to do is, is we're going to pray here in a second. I'm going to let Gabe close the service. And then after Gabe closes the service, once he dismisses, we're going to have a couple of people up here that are willing and ready to pray and stand in faith with you to receive the gifts of the Spirit. But the first thing I want to settle is what I just said, the only criteria necessary to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So if you'll just all bow your heads with me, close your eyes. 
I'm so happy that we took communion today and I'm so thankful for what Gabe said. That if his redemption was that easily lost, it wouldn't be redemption at all. Maybe there's someone in here today that you need redemption. I'm not talking about you're a believer and you messed up this week and you made a mistake and sinned again. I'm talking about you have never made a choice to be a follower of Christ. You've never made a choice before to enter in His grace. If that's you and you want to solve today for yourself and your soul the only criteria necessary to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you would just raise your hand. Let me see your hand. Thank you. I'll give you a few more seconds. Anyone else? Church, would you all just pray this prayer with me and stand in faith with those that raise their hands? Let's pray this together right now. God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the life that he lived and the death that he died in my place to wipe away the guilt of my sin. I know there is nothing I can do to earn my salvation. It's a free gift and I receive it right now. Jesus' name. Amen.